Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The FT. Welcome to this edition of World Weekly with me, Gideon Rachman. This week, we look at the overthrow of the government of President Mohamed Morsi in Egypt. What happens now and how should the outside world react? Joining me on the line from Cairo as our correspondent there, Borju Daragatsi, and also on the line is David Gardner, our senior commentator based in the Middle East. Borju, first of all, you're in Cairo. Can you tell me what's the situation now? We've had, in effect, a military coup. Is there still sort of turmoil in the streets or is it calmer? Uh, it's calmer, quite a bit calmer. Uh, you do have some reports of a, uh, 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 confrontations between security forces and Islamist supporters of President Mohamed Morsi in uh, western Cairo. There is also a large uh, demonstration, a larger demonstration of pro-Morsi activists in eastern Cairo. But it doesn't appear to be the same level of uh, high-pitched tension that it has been over the past week. Indeed, you know, what you had this morning was the uh, swearing-in of the new transitional president, uh, Adli Mansour, the head of the Supreme uh, Constitutional Court. Uh, he will be presiding over this period that will supposedly include a technocratic cabinet and a, a committee to uh, rewrite or amend the current suspended constitution. Now, David, to the outside world, the the overthrow of an elected president doesn't sound like good news. And yet you've written that to some extent, President Mohamed Morsi had proved himself to be highly incompetent. Just give us an overview of how we got to this stage. Yeah, I mean, incompetence is definitely part of it. It's, I think, driven by a worldview, that of the Muslim Brotherhood, who in effect controlled Morsi, very much their second choice for the presidency. Their first choice, who was banned, seemed to call quite a lot of the shots. That's part of it, but it's the simple mix of sectarianism and paternalism towards this extraordinarily vibrant and plural society, which didn't go into the streets and squares of Egypt to overthrow Hosni Mubarak. I mean, the fag end of 60 years of military-backed dictatorship in order to embrace a new straitjacket, in effect. That's where they went terribly wrong. And yet it is the military that's again stepped in to get rid of Morsi. So are we in danger of going back to something that looks a bit like the Mubarak era with essentially a military-run Egypt? The danger is clear enough. It seems to me that if you are an Egyptian general looking at these hundreds of thousands, possibly millions of people in the street, yet again, I mean, in very short order after, you know, February 2011, and you look at the scale of problems, that Egypt faces, I don't think you would want to be taking over <laughs> facing those two different kinds of music. I think you would want to ensure, as they did initially with the Brotherhood and Mursi, that your very extensive privileges are safeguarded, your power, your prestige is 
preserved, but you don't actually have to be in the front line running the country, taking unpopular decisions, working through what, in the best of scenarios, is going to be a long and messy transition still. OK, well, Bourdieu, I mean, they've said, as, as David emphasises, that they, that they are going to have new elections. And as an outsider, the obvious question to me is, well, what happens if the Muslim Brotherhood win the next elections? Are we back to where we started from? I think that's a good question, but I think that they will try to uh, bend the rules of the game so that it's not such a sure thing that the Muslim Brotherhood or any of its uh, offshoot organizations will easily win the election. For example, there is uh, some speculation, even from people inside the Brotherhood, that the Freedom and Justice Party that the Muslim Brotherhood launched uh, would be dissolved as a political organization. There is some um, uh, speculation that the long-standing laws uh, barring the use of religious rhetoric and religious iconography in political campaigns would be enforced. Uh, and that would uh, make it much more difficult for the Muslim Brotherhood, for example, to mobilize voters uh, using mosques and so on, as they have been in recent months. I think there's very little chance of the Muslim Brotherhood coming back with the magnitude uh, that it has uh, dominated political life during this transition period, just because they've done such a terrible job on so many levels, on the level of competence, as well as on the level of attempting to infiltrate every aspect of state institutions. Their idea of governance seems to be to put their people in key places. Uh, and this has so tarnished their image uh, that it's very doubtful that they would uh, return at the same level that they have in the past uh, two and a half years. And yet, David, the secular liberals who were uh, uh, campaigned against the Brotherhood in the streets just now, they've done a pretty lousy job of organising themselves politically. Is there any sense that they're now in a position to take advantage of this second chance that's been handed to them? Or will other forces, not the Brotherhood, not the liberals, somehow come to the fore? Well, that, that's going to be one of the most fascinating aspects of what we see over the coming months and years. Let's start right at the beginning. Sixty years of dictatorship in which secular politics was monopolized by the state, which at the same time could do very little ultimately to control the mosque and its surroundings, which is where people like the Brotherhood got their start in life. You come into this transition with... Islamists as an organized force and liberals pretty scattered and all over the place, but able to demonstrate as they just have again this extraordinary convening power in the streets, which shows the extraordinary change in Egyptian society, which a certain amount of research has actually measured over the past 10 years or so. If you look at things like the World Values Survey, between 2000 and 2008, you will see actually a decline in the attraction of Islamism. And more immediately, you had in recent weeks a very extensive poll by the Zogby organization in the United States of Egypt showing the massive shrinkage in support for the Brotherhood. It was halved, I think, from 57 to 28%, something of that order. So an enormous opportunity for liberals, the left, secular forces, and so on and so forth, if they could get their act together. And they've demonstrated their ability to mobilize in the streets. They've shown their ability to goad the military. What they need to now really start showing is their ability to organize to win power at the ballot box.
So, David, given all that, what do you think this does for the future of political Islam? Because a lot of people said that it was high time that they were given a chance in office, if only to show that they would necessarily didn't have all the answers. And yet, the experiment's been cut short by a military coup. So doesn't this give them a chance to retreat into the preferred posture of the martyred, repressed uh, opposition, the true force? Yes, yes, it does. I mean, I'm not sure that anybody had imagined that an organisation as ostensibly well-oiled as the Brotherhood would prove so catastrophically incompetent and obtuse once it had its first smell of power. But I think this is a tremendous blow to mainstream political Islam across this part of the world. This is the mothership, don't forget. It's the original pan-Islamist organization, whatever it is, 85 years old, founded in Egypt, you know, the largest country, etc. I mean, it is not a small thing. But at the same time, the hard core of brotherhood support, which is pretty much what they're down to now, will feel that one year, which is what Mursi had, was not really enough to demonstrate whether they could succeed or would fail. To the wider audience, failure is pretty apparent and clear because of the path they set off on. But I think it will have an impact, and if there is any temptation, because they are now not on their knees, but they've taken a big blow, if there is any temptation to follow through with this and make it impossible for them to function, to drive them back into the catacombs, as it were, that would be a fatal error, in my view, because all it would do would be to give greater stimulus to more radical forms of Islamism, jihadis, and so on, who would say, well, it's all very clear then, you know, as, as Sam Haddad, an aide to Mursi, said yesterday, you know, this proves to the entire Muslim world that democracy is not for Muslims. It just simply, it's not available to us. Now, any idea like that would prove fatal. So, Bourgeois, we heard there David's view that the balance of forces might now shift to the secular liberals, if one can use that shorthand. But what's your analysis of the balance of forces within Egypt? Is there an inbuilt Islamist majority still when you look at the Muslim Brotherhood and the fact that the Salafists, the even more fundamentalist party, got something like 25%? So, Again, one worries that uh, the secular liberals can bring a huge crowd out in Egypt and in Cairo, but they are liable still to be outvoted. It seems like they've never been able to translate the street power that they have into a viable political force that can compete in elections, can uh, organize people in the provinces, can get out the vote come election day, and not just in Egypt. In the Middle East in general, in the Arab world, uh, liberals are, are not very good at that kind of grassroots politics. You know, I, I remember in Iraq when you had Ayad Alawi running against the Islamists, and uh, Ayad Alawi invested all of his resources in running these ridiculous television commercials for people who were getting uh, four or five hours of electricity a day. And meanwhile, the Islamists were out on the streets, knocking on doors, going through uh, villages and getting people to vote for them uh, by uh, being there. Uh, it seems like liberals aren't able to do that. 
I wonder if it wouldn't be just as the um, Qataris and the, and, the, and the Saudis and the uh, uh, other uh, Arab countries put bets on their players in this part of the world. I wonder if it wouldn't be wise. I know, for example, the Danes try to help out their like-minded ideological allies in Egypt. It wouldn't be wise to try to uh, intensify efforts to show liberal and secular parties here just how to run a real political campaign. Mm. Is this in part an, an urban-rural divide? I mean, does, is, are we in danger of overestimating the strength of the liberals because they're so strong in Cairo, but uh, maybe you know, in the country as, as a whole they're not so strong? I think there is a urban-regional uh, uh, divide in Egypt, but there's also inter-regional divisions. In this particular case, with regard to Morsi, I think the opposition to him, because of the incompetence, because of the utter lack of any progress on the economy, the visible deterioration of institutions and public services over the last year, I think that this opposition to Morsi transcended those regional and, uh, and class divisions. Finally, Bourdieu, I mean, you, you mentioned that perhaps the West might start trying to help the forces that it finds sympathetic with, with kind of more aid. But how do you think the US in particular is going to handle this? President Obama's policies has seemed pretty equivocal, not wanting to call this a military coup, being quite close to the last, reasonably sympathetic to the Muslim Brotherhood. What do they do now? I mean, the US is in such a tough position on this one. Whatever they do, and it's a very funny environment uh, where uh, each camp accuses the other of being dupes for America and its ally Israel. Uh, so no matter what it does, it ends up being accused of uh, backing the other side, of uh, uh, looking out for its own interests, only of not caring about uh, Egyptian people, only caring about the interests of Israel and Saudi Arabia and getting oil out of the region. Uh, so it's, it's really a no-win situation for the U.S., and I don't know how the Obama administration could uh, better handle this situation. If it came out against Morsi, it's coming out against a democratically elected government. If it comes out against the coup, then it's coming out against the legitimate aspirations of millions of people in the streets. Either way, each side is going to accuse the other of being a pawn of Washington. So there's really no easy way of, of handling a situation like this if you're a big kid on the block like the U.S. Borja Deragatsi in Cairo, thank you very much for that and look after yourself in the coming days. I'm sure we'll have further opportunities to speak to you. And thanks also to David Gardner. That's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.